are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This evening we continue in this series through the book of Leviticus, so I invite you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 102. This book, we're coming to an end in the next few weeks. This book has been all about God is showing his people how they can approach him, a holy God, a sinful people, how they can come into the presence of a holy God through the appointed sacrifice that God has given on their behalf. And then not just approaching God, but how do they commune with God? What does it look like to walk with God? And so the second half of the book speaks to that, communing with God, this ongoing relationship that God's people have with him. Last time we looked at chapter 23, at these the annual calendar, the celebrations that Israel participated in every year. And now we're coming to uh, the, the lamps and the bread this week. We'll hear now God's word. We'll read from Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, after going through these the calendar of Israel, their annual celebrations. God now turns Israel's attention as he's instructing them through Moses. He's turning their attention to some granular day-to-day, week-to-week aspects of the religious life of his people. And ultimately, in these nine verses, uh, the ESV separates them out into two different sections. But ultimately, I think this is one image that is here for us to consider. One major point is being demonstrated here. And it's we have a lamp with seven lamps that shines light upon 12 loaves of bread. We see light shining upon this bread that's found inside the tabernacle and later inside the temple. The furniture of the table, we read it is of pure gold and the lampstands are also of pure gold. They're commanded to be made according to God's plan in Exodus 25. 
And we read in Exodus 37 that they did. They completed these two pieces of furniture, the table and the lampstand, according to God's instruction. And it's placed inside the tabernacle, but not inside the Holy of Holies. So not inside the inner sanctum, but inside the outer portion of the tabernacle, along with the altar of incense. So there were three pieces of furniture inside the tabernacle, the altar of incense, and then the lamp and the table. Now, this lampstand, as we read, was made of pure gold. And as we would have read in uh, Exodus 25, there are actually seven lamps on this one lampstand, a menorah, as it is often called. It has ornate carvings of branches and blossoms and flowers with the light to be directed toward the bread. The utensils to tend it uh, were made of pure gold too to cut the wicks or to add the oil. All of these utensils were made of pure gold. And then when the temple was built sometime later by Solomon, God instructed not just one of these lampstands, but 10 of these to be placed within the holy place to shine light of seven lamps times 10, 70 lamps shining upon the bread. Then we see the table. This table is where the bread is laid, the bread of which we read this evening. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. There's specific instructions for how big and how long and how wide and the, the, uh, the, the rings that should go on it so that it could be carried with poles as the tabernacle moved from place to place. And Israel did build it according to God's specifications. And it was part of the tabernacle and continued in the temple later. One phrase we don't see in our passage, but is assumed in our passage, is, the, is what the bread is called. Here, there's more detail than anywhere else in scripture of how the bread should be prepared, what kind of bread it should be. But the name of the bread we see elsewhere is called the bread of the presence. So these six, uh, two stacks of six loaves, so 12 loaves of bread, bread total, were collectively called the bread of the presence. And these were placed on that table of pure gold. You may know some older translations that call this the showbread. Really, if you go into the Hebrew, though, a wooden translation of this would be the bread of the face. The bread of the face of God is what's implied. And so we turn that into the bread of the presence of God. This bread was for the presence of God. It was used to depict God's presence looking upon his people. And so while the instructions were given in Exodus for how to build these things, this is the first time the significance of them is noted for the people of Israel. Remember, they're still at the base of Mount Sinai. They're still hearing God's law. And God has told them how to build the tabernacle. And now he's telling them what it's for. Why are we doing all of this crazy stuff with these lamps, with seven different uh, smaller lamps on it, with this table of gold? What's the purpose? God's showing them why this is so significant. And again, this big picture is this. These 12 loaves of bread represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread represents the people of God. And the light represents God's favor. God's favor shining upon the people of God perpetually, continually. An image for God's people to take to heart and to remember. So what we'll do this evening is we're gonna just simply look at three lessons of the lamp, the lamps and the bread for us today. So we'll look at these three lessons. First is daily habits. The command to keep the lamps burning with oil and tr the wicks trimmed is something Aaron and the priests would have to do regularly, according to the ESV. 
Now, every other translation that I saw, except one, translated that word continually. And I like that. They're both getting the same idea, but I like the idea of continually. They had to go continually to tend to the lamps. It was something that was an every day, maybe every hour, maybe every half day, they had to go in and tend to the lamps to make sure the wicks were trimmed, to make sure the oil was there. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the priests were required to make sure the light was still shining inside the tabernacle and later the temple. The lights were to always remain lit. So there was constant attention. No matter what the priests were doing, whether they were offering sacrifices or whether it was a feast or a festival, no matter what was going on, they had to make sure the lights stayed lit. Priests were constantly in and out of the tabernacle to make sure this was the case. There was a faulty wick, it must be replaced immediately. There was a problem, it must be tended to quickly. They were always ensuring the lights were lit. But also there's a part for the people in this. The people were to provide the oil for it. The people would probably not daily, but probably on an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would bring their portion of the oil. And so what's going on in the tabernacle, they couldn't see it themselves, but they knew this was the people's oil that was being burned. The people had a part to play in this daily mundane task of keeping the lamp lit. I think one thing this shows us is that the Christian life is more about the small things than it is the big things. Daily habits we are building and practicing are critical for the Christian life. What are your rhythms that build up or encourage others? What are your, real, your little rhythms of every day? What are those things that you do continually or regularly? The small things, like when you come home, what do you say to your spouse at the end of a day? How do you greet your children? What do you read to them? What do you teach them? How do you make sure you're meditating on a strong diet of God's word continually? How do you make the best, how do you make use of internet and social media? Is it healthy or is it driving you deeper into worldly concerns instead of godly ones? Think of brushing our teeth. It's best to brush your teeth every day, a couple times a day, several minutes, a couple times a day to keep your teeth healthy. I don't think any dentist, I haven't talked to anybody, I don't think any dentist would recommend once every three months taking a three-hour brush-a-thon to brush your teeth. It would not be effective. So in the same way, your, our lives of, of building relationships with other people, your spouse particularly, your children, other people close to you, the one big, the one-off big events is not what defines your relationship with them, is it? It's not the big one-off romantic getaway that defines your marriage. It's the daily in the mundane things. It's not about getting some extraordinary gift for your kids because you've been gone a lot recently or reading that one good Christian book in a weekend and never looking to read again. It's the daily things, the daily habits, the small things, those continual things that we make our habits of our lives, the pulse of our lives. What are those things? Are they constructive? Are they building up? Are they drawing us deeper into Christ? Are they drawing us away from him? I think this aspect, the continually tending to the wick, reminds us we must continually tend to those small things in our lives. We must continually establish good habits. 
and do the small things right. And then the large things will follow. The big things are good. But they're to be built upon a strong foundation of good, godly habits. And the priests of Israel were reminded of the daily aspect of their faith by these requirements, that the light be burning continually. And so we are called likewise to be faithful to God in the small things continually as well. So daily habits is one lesson we can learn from this. The second is God's favor, the lesson of God's favor. Because ultimately, essentially, the picture of the lamps and the bread is a beautiful illustration of God's favor for his people. The light signifies the face of God, the countenance of God that's mentioned in that famous benediction of number six. Remember, the the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's the same word, the bread of the face. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance. Again, the same word, lift his face. The bread of the face, lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Because inside the tabernacle and later the temple, there is this little microcosm that's reminding all of Israel what is ultimately true. It's the face of God is shining upon his people. The face of God demonstrated by the lamps is shining upon the bread that's sitting there. The light is directed upon it. It's not just generically glowing. It's directed upon the bread. God's face shines upon his people. The bread sits there in perfect rest before the light, basking in the light of God's grace and favor enjoying the solace, the quietness, the contentment of his presence. And I love this. It was shining at all times, no matter what was going on outside of the tabernacle or outside later of the temple. Whether there's storms or wind, whether there's fighting a battle going on outside, whether the people are grumbling and complaining, whether there's debate among God's people, whether God is sending a plague for their disobedience, this truth remains that God God's face is shining upon his people. No matter what's happening outside the tent, this ultimate reality is is showing true. God is with his people. God is shining his face upon them. He does not remove the light of his glorious grace at any point in time, based on any situation or circumstance. God is faithful. I can just imagine at nighttime, the the priests fluttering in and out of the tabernacle and those nearby seeing as the the curtain kind of is, is pulled back for them to come in and out, they see the rays of light coming out of that tabernacle and being reminded even in the depth of the darkest night, the light is still shining. The light of God's presence is still shining upon us, his people, even in the darkest night. Nothing has changed inside the tabernacle. This truth, this this imagery is pointing us to is the same for God's people today. It's the same for us today. For those who look to this Christ, Jesus, in faith, this is true of you. God looks upon you with favor. No matter what's going on outside, no matter what the situation looks like, God's face is smiling upon you. As the term bread of the presence indicates God's presence shining upon the bread, I think it's appropriate to call us the people of the presence. We are the people of God's presence shining upon us. God is with us. 
this people, whether there are great trials going on, whether you feel distant from God, whether you're in sin, whether you have no strength any longer to lift a finger, whether you feel deserted by all your friends and all your family, the light of God's favor is still shining upon you. I must tell you, reflecting on this little image all week long has been wonderfully fruitful for me. These little disappointments might pop up and things that are, might send me spiraling out of, into despair or selfishness or whatever it is. I can remember this little picture. Remember that in Israel, no matter what was going on, the light was shining for God's people. This is the same truth that applies to us. You know what? So what if there's a little disappointment? What if somebody lets me down? God's face is still shining. God does not change. We can hold on to this and rest in this. In every trial, God's favor will not leave you. The New Testament picks up on this imagery and, and uh, in many different places. But as we read earlier in Ephesians, one place it goes with this imagery is we are children of light, therefore walk as children of light. And so we are children of light. We do have the, the favor of God upon us. And so now we get the opportunity to live as children of light. We're no longer children of darkness. We're no longer living in the darkness. But we now can honor the Lord and walk consistently with what is light, what is true, what is good, because we are children of light. We can live accordingly and ourselves be reflective of that light that God is shining upon us. God's favor. What an amazing lesson. What an amazing truth for us to hold on to. God's favor and the lamps and the bread. And then finally, our third lesson is Sabbath rest. Scholars will debate why this this appears here in chapter 24. Why? This seems kind of a random place to put in something about bread and lamps. After we've talked about the festivals and then chapter 25, we're going to talk about the Sabbath years, the year of Jubilee. But I think the most compelling reason why this is put here, as scholars are debating this and biblical scholars are talking about it, the most compelling reason to me is this. All three of these chapters, 23, 24, and 25, are all returning to this theme of sacred time and the Sabbath principle of one and seven. All of these chapters, this is a refrain coming over and over and over. In chapter 24, it began talking about the weekly Sabbath. Of all the feasts in the year, the weekly Sabbath was named first. It was important, the weekly heartbeat of God's people, the day of rest and worship. And then the end of the festivals in chapter 23 ended with the seventh month. In some ways, the Sabbath month, the high month of the year, where they had these feasts to celebrate with the greatest joy of the year, the seventh month. And then we have in chapter 25, we have the, the, seven, uh, the, 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 the year of Jubilee, the every seven years of God's favor, which we'll look at next time. And so clearly the Sabbath principle is at play in chapter 25. And so we come to chapter 24 and we see even in this, this idea of the lamps and the bread, we see the Sabbath principle at play in a couple of ways. We see that there's seven lamps on this one lampstand. So we see again that idea of seven, the Sabbath is there. This place in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle is a place of rest as the seven lamps indicate for us. 
But then there's a renewing of the bread every Sabbath. Every Sabbath, the bread is replaced. It's renewed. A new, fresh set is brought in, showing the Sabbath principle, reinforcing it again. And I think it makes sense why these nine verses are embedded within these surrounding chapters. And the point is this. This arrangement of the lamps and the bread symbolizes the ideal Sabbath. It symbolizes the the earthly Sabbath that we get to participate in now. As we see every Sabbath, there's renewal, right? There's renewal for God's people. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. It's about renewing us spiritually. It's about even renewing the covenant, reminding what God has done for us, renewing with the covenant meal we partake every Sabbath. We're renewing, we're being renewed every Sabbath as we celebrate and as we worship But this weekly Sabbath rest now, it ought to be like that rest that the bread enjoys in the light of the shining lamps. This resting and renewal that we get to enjoy every week is designed to help us feel the reality of the lamps shining. Feel the reality of God's shining his face upon us by ceasing from all other work, except of course those necessary things, those works of mercy, in order to rest our souls in God. But this weekly Sabbath that we observe, this Sabbath on earth, beginning with the seventh day of creation, was never an end in and of itself. The Sabbath that we get to enjoy now is not an end in and of itself, but the Sabbath always pointed to something greater. The existence of the Sabbath in the beginning, in the week of creation, in the garden itself, was showing Adam and Eve that they were headed for a Sabbath rest. God created heaven and earth and all human beings to experience the rest, the Sabbath rest of God. After the fall, that eternal Sabbath can now only be ours when Christ intervenes for us. Adam lost his ability to enter the Sabbath rest, but we have the one who has achieved it for us. This lamp and bread show us what we were made for. God's presence in his heavenly temple forever and ever. And it's a window for us to have a glimpse of this reality that we belong to God and it will look like intimate communion forever and ever in his presence. These Sabbaths that we observe now is just the slightest foretaste of what that kind of rest will be as we will see God when he comes and we will be changed, we will be made like him, John says for we will see him as he is. We will fully understand the grace that we have received even now. So we can take heart that we get to experience this, this ideal Sabbath pictured for us. We get to look forward to this. We get to grow in hope and peace as we look forward to the eternal Sabbath rest in heaven with our creator. I'm always astounded by what these seemingly insignificant, sometimes seemingly indecipherable parts of scripture show us about God and his grace. Is it not amazing? Something as foreign to us as lamps and bread, the lamps being, being, being shining continuously, how this can show us comfort, the working of God's spirit, the grace of God, for us. So let us take to heart these lessons. 
like the tending of the lamp daily. Let us tend to our own lives daily, diligently, purposefully, following, following after the Lord. But like the bread basking in the light of the lamps, let us remember God's grace. His grace for us does not waver. It never burns out. And as Christ's work is completed for his people, God always smiles upon you, no matter what's going on. And whether you feel it now or not, we have the great hope of that eternal Sabbath. We can look forward with great anticipation, the eternal Sabbath and the presence of God. Praise God for this image of lamps and the bread to show us his grace for us. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we are grateful because we deserve not any of your grace or mercy. We deserve not these tokens, these reminders of your continual, perpetual grace towards us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I pray that this, we could take this to heart, that we would be made firm in your love and grace for us, and that as a result, we would indeed be light to the world around us. Help us with these things. Help us to know, to understand, and to live accordingly for your glory above all. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.